Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast and another week of getting coffee smarter. Chris O'Brien, proprietor of Coffee Cycle and the guy you find when you reach the top of the mountain, is back to teach us all a little bit more about coffee. Today, we talk about espresso machine technology and if we are in danger of losing the art of the old manual lever technology found in the machine on the front card at Coffee Cycle in favor of the new generation of advanced espresso machines like the decent brand machine with all the computer screens only a few feet away on the Coffee Cycle back bar. We are about to get into the show today, so take a moment to sign up for the newsletter on RoastWestCoast.com. You'll get the podcast sent to you right in an email on Tuesdays and Fridays, plus bonus content. This week, I'm including the recipe to a chocolate coffee whiskey cake from industry partner First Delight Whiskey. I made this cake, and it was delicious. I was pretty proud of it, actually, as it was the first cake I ever made completely from scratch. You'll find that and links to all the stuff we talk about on the show on RoastWestCoast.com. And now, it's time for another episode of Coffee Smarter. Hey, Chris, it's great to see you this morning on the Roast West Coast podcast. Today's Coffee Smarter question, because I'm just going to jump right in today. I'm not, no, none of this like niceties. I just want to talk coffee today. This is important because this question came in in various forms from listeners of the show who've been getting coffee smarter with us uh, through season one and now in season two. And it's about espresso and it's espresso, not espresso, right? Well, you know, I'm not going to judge, but yes, it's espresso, not espresso. Espresso. (laughs) I know that last year you got a real fancy kind of computerized espresso machine. Before that, you had this kind of more traditional mechanical like spring lever type pull machine. I'm wondering, one, what are the different types of espresso machine? And what is the difference between one that is kind of a computerized system versus, you know, one that you're actually manually physically pulling on? And what's kind of your opinion on that? Are you, are you worried about losing the art of pulling an espresso shot? I mean, the phrase pulling an espresso shot, it's kind of like saying, oh, I taped it when you put something on your, you know, your DVR, or your Hulu. I don't even think people know what that means anymore, right? Yeah, I still say books on tape. <laughs> yeah, is is pulling an espresso going to go kind of by the wayside with all the technology we have coming? You know, just a, a little background on, on types of espresso machines and then your opinions on, you know, the old versus the new. Uh, I love this question, um, as I love most of the questions you pose me, mainly because it gives me an opportunity to talk about coffee, which is what I love so much. You know, espresso is at the heart of what we think of as coffee shops. And espresso has a pretty long history at this point, and it comes from Italy originally. And the original Italian espresso machines didn't really need electricity to run. You had an actual fire keeping a steel or copper cylinder full of water uh, at boiling, and it would pressurize at boiling. Um, And so the word espresso literally just means with pressure. So you're brewing coffee with pressure. So you're using pressurized water and, and pressure to extract the coffee into a concentrated form. So there's no real such thing as an espresso coffee. Like any coffee can be made into an espresso because it just means that it's brewed with pressure. But those original styles of espresso machine from Italy that didn't use a lot of electricity or any electricity not only got their pressure from this, this cylinder that was kept really, really hot, 
But they also needed to get even more pressure than that. And so they would pull this large lever down and it would lock a big spring, like the kind of spring you would see on a car. They'd pull this lever down and lock the spring. And then when the lever goes up, the water gets pushed by this spring into the coffee and forced through the very finely ground coffee, which resists the pressure and extracts the coffee into this very concentrated beverage. So, you know, even if you go to a, a Starbucks where their machines are so automated that you literally just push a button and it grinds the coffee, compresses the coffee, forces the pressurized water through, turns itself off, removes the compressed coffee from the mechanism and adds fresh ones at just the push of a single button. You know, even there, you'll hear the baristas talk about pulling an espresso because it really does come from this. But it's gone pretty far. The Starbucks fully automation is not the not the end of the technological line where it started at this this lever and fire thing. I mean, I've seen your new your new thing and it's got like screens on it like it's a Tesla or something. Right. So, you know, moving on, we got into the pump-driven espresso machines because pulling these levers is labor intensive, it's slow. So by pushing a button, you can have a pump turn on that can deliver the same kind of pressure as this spring mechanism. And what's more than that is you can run the pump for as long as you want. The spring doesn't just compress and decompress. It just stays on as long as you want it to. You see these um, these machines around that are kind of the standard machine these days are, are pump-driven. They still have a boiler. Um, instead of a flame, it's got an electronic heating element that keeps it at pressure. And then a pump delivers a specific amount of pressure into that coffee. And the pressure that's kind of standardized for espresso is, is 9 bar. Um, I don't have off the top of my head what that is in PSI, but it's it's a lot of pressure. Um, so 9 bar of pressure is coming down. Well, in the last 20 years or so, last 15 years, coffee people have gotten really into the science of extracting coffee. And that goes to espresso, that goes to pour-overs, batch brew, it goes to analyzing roasts, which I think you're going to be talking about with uh, with your other guest, Siri from Lofty Coffee, um, who's an awesome roaster and a really great person. We've really gotten into this science. And what we've discovered as part of this science is that turning on a straight nine bars of pressure and then turning it off can give you some good results, but there's some also good results that are coming from this spring and they're a little bit different. And so when you break it down to the data and the science, you realize that the spring doesn't create an even nine bars of pressure. It creates, you know, if you were to graph it, it creates a curve of pressure. It, it starts low, spikes high, and then, and then curves down. So anywhere between that lever machine and that aut automated, you push a button and it creates nine bars machine, well, somewhere between them is, is, is the best shot of po espresso possible. And so the decent espresso machine, which is the one that you're referring to at my shop, is a really cool tool that allows us to change the pressure, the flow rate, and like, you know, as many milliliters per second of water that is coming out, and the temperature of any water that's being used to extract the espresso for an almost infinite number of points throughout the shop. So practically what that means is that I have this digital machine that can replicate what the spring-based lever machine does, but then you can tweak it and say, well, I want to extend the time that it's at nine bars for this long, or I want to go up to 12 bars and see how that does. 
or I want to keep it down at six bars and see how that does. And so before the Decent Machine came out, which is, you know, kind of a niche, it's, it's a very cool, unique tool, but it's not necessarily necessary for everybody. The, uh, the people that were experimenting with espresso coffee were taking their pump-driven machines, taking a screwdriver to them, and manually adjusting what pressure was coming out. So you really have a whole slew of people that are interested in trying to maximize what we can get out of this concentrated beverage that we call espresso, and that are trying to break down into science what makes it good, what makes it possible, and how can we maximize what we get out of this whole process. And we maximize it just by turning the pump pressure down to six bars and extracting it at a lower pressure for a longer period of time. Or do we want to have the pressure change at different points throughout the shot? And then temperature also is going to affect it because you're going to extract different compounds at different temperatures. So the more customization you have to it, the more you can, with facts-based science, pull out a specific result. So what's cool and that we've figured out is that the, the spring lever actually does a really great job of extracting coffee. It does a really great job. Somehow stumbling upon this mechanism of old technology that's like barely even technology to us now actually does a phenomenal job of doing what we want and getting all the best things out of those coffee grounds and into your concentrated little cup. So now can we use the science that we have figure out exactly why and exactly what parts of that do the best job. So, um, yeah, so we have everything from the oldest style in our shop with the lever machine all the way to the newest style, the decent machine. But we use the decent machine to pull a shot that's mimicking what that lever machine does with some very subtle tweaks to it to really maximize it. It warms my heart to know that the old ways are still relevant and valid. <laughs> I think I, w I was born old. <laughs> I can vouch for that. And, and so I appreciate that. It sounds like you are in favor of a world in which you use one machine to learn more and maximize the other and vice versa. But does it concern you that kind of this art of pulling an espresso might be lost as new generations are coming up with all the, with the automated option right from the get-go? You know, when I started showing up in your shop every morning and I was only looking at the espresso machine and watching you pull espressos, and seeing how many, I mean, honestly, I'm surprised you don't have like elbow and shoulder I problems do. because you're always making on this, <laughs> this lever, you know, is that a concern for someone like you who's, who's in this world using both machines, but seeing a generation come up where they have this one option all the way through? Do you think people are passing this knowledge down? You know, I, 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 I like the opportunity that this question gives me because a lot of people, I think, have been to a coffee shop where they know that a specific barista makes the drink the way that they like it. That, oh man, I know I'm going to get a great experience because Kelly's on bar today or because Brian is steaming the milk or pulling the shots or whatever. And that's, that's cool because it's great to have that community aspect in a shop. In a shop. It's great to you know recognize someone's achievements and... I used to be that guy sometimes that, that people would want to make their drinks. And what I loved about being in coffee at that time when people were, were seeking me out as their barista, occasionally, <laughs> is 
I thought that coffee was where art and science sort of collided. I thought that there was like this, this gut instinct that you kind of had to have to, you know, having pulled this many shots or tasted this many coffees, having this, this gut instinct and this, this art to it where I just, I just knew the coffee better than other people. And I just, I just had this feel for it and that I was, I was le artiste. You know, and, and not that I was the best artiste or whatever, that there were plenty of others that were just as respectable in their own ways. You know, maybe I was more of the, the Picasso, you know, over there, uh, you know, making the weird stuff. But <laughs> anyway, I used to think that art and science is where it collided. And this, this whole identity of the barista that you like pulling your shot, you know, tied into that. But what we've figured out with the rise of coffee science in regular use in cafes on uh, the last 15 years is that a lot of that art aspect really was just science the whole time. Because as people, you know, we have an incredible ability to process data in our brains without even realizing it, you know, subconsciously, we're doing so much at every moment of every day. And so, you know, they say, what is it 10,000 hours to become an expert in something, something like that. There's, there's like the saying about that. And, uh, and I think part of what makes that 10,000 hours into an expert is that you start to learn to subconsciously process data that you don't even know that you're getting. So, you know, I remember people training me to watch for tiger striping on the liquid espresso as it flowed out and watch for the coloration changes and how quickly it would gather in the center when you used a naked portafilter and all these, all these different, different, um, sort of artsy tweaks that you could kind of look at. And now we have this data where we can put our espresso that we've extracted with the numbers of weight that's gone in, weight that's gone out. You can do a particle distribution analysis using a camera from your cell phone on the coffee grounds and see how well ground the coffee was, whether it was a uniform particle size or not, and how far the deviation was. Then you can plug it into your refractometer and see how the light diffracts off of sucrose and sucrose-like molecules and get a total dissolved solids measurement from that and plug that into an equation and get your extractor, you know. And, and so all of a sudden you realize that all this, this stuff that I've been looking at, all this stuff that that barista that you liked was looking at is actually sort of a real-world visual representation of this hard data that we're now having access to. And so what that means is that you can train people in the art of the science, I guess, is the way I would want to put it. You give people access to what the data is, you show them how it correlates to what they're, they're seeing, so they have kind of the quick and dirty path to what those 10,000 hours cost you. And so, you know, the, the question of whether the art of pulling an espresso is lost or gained, you know, I... I think it's just changed, and, I, and I, I love how it's changed because really it's what we were doing the whole time. It's what we were doing the whole time, but we weren't recognizing it. You might have a chance to chat with Siri or with one of your other awesome guests this season about Q graders, which is like a certification for coffee tasting, it's sort of like a, a sommelier or a, or a Cicerone for beer. And the way that people train for Q grading is, is phenomenal, but what it, what it is, is it's basically training your taste buds to be able to pick out very specific chemical compounds in the beverage that you're drinking. 
while it's being masked by all the other compounds that are in the beverage that you're drinking. And the beverage that we're drinking is coffee, which is the most complex tasting beverage in the world. There's over 800, I believe, 800 different organic compounds in a cup of co- a good cup of coffee that the human palate can detect. So somehow these Q graders palates are parsing out a single compound when they're paying attention to it out of 800 and determining whether that's good, bad, and in harmony with the other 799. And it just blows the brain, blows the mind to think about how capable we are as humans that we can train to do that. It doesn't take a Superman to become a Q grader. It takes someone with a lot of dedication and who's willing to put in those 10,000 hours or whatever it is it takes. So is the art of pulling an espresso being lost? No, I don't think so at all. I think the art of pulling an espresso is alive and well and is adapting into a beautiful new art that we're going to see as coffee continues to move forward. If you had to take one coffee on the board at Coffee Cycle to drink as an espresso, just one, which one is it? You know, I oh, oh, you know, I was so confident I knew what the answer was. Um, <laughs> well, and I know you change up your coffees a lot, but you know, whatever's on the board right now today, what would it be? I'd probably pick our, our Costa Rica, which is great because that is our go-to coffee for most of our beverages. Um, we buy it directly from a farm in Costa Rica. The farm is called Cafe Corazon. Um, we use up something like 70%. Last year, we used something like 70% of the farm's output in our cafe, which was awesome because it's our own sustainability initiative with that coffee down there, with that farm down there to improve the lives of the farmers and the people that work on it and to improve their coffee so that we can continue reinvesting in them. And so far, over the two years of our partnership, it's been phenomenal. Um, But the coffee has tasting notes of Sometimes we describe it as being like a candy bar. It's caramel, it's dark chocolate, and it's like sweet nuts, you know, pralines, pecans. And so it really has this candy bar kind of taste to it. And espresso, when it's pulled right, has, you know, a lot of natural sweetness to it. And so I had a, a espresso shot that my coworker pulled me of that Costa Rica the other day. And usually it's like the last third of an espresso shot is, is detectably sweet. But this one just started to taste sweet right at the top almost. You know, the very first sip of espresso is never sweet. It's always going to be bitter. Uh, that's not a bad thing. That's, that's part of what makes espresso beautiful and unique is those emulsified oils, the crema on the top. They don't hold any sugars, so they're always going to be bitter. But this espresso shot was so caramelly sweet and sugary sweet. I mean, obviously, it's, it's a bitter, intense coffee beverage, but when my I'm looking for it, I just, I'm, wow, this is so sweet. This is so good, you know? Um, and that's why espresso cups get sticky. It's because they have sugar in them, you know, naturally occurring sugars in the coffee beans. For those of you that are listening to this show, as Chris is telling me this, his eyes are closed and I can he's leaning back in his chair and he's just, he's reflecting on this emotional moment of this this espresso. And that's one of the things that I love about coffee is when you, you have that moment, not every cup of coffee is perfect or has that emotional connection, but there are days where you take that sip of coffee or espresso or whatever, and it's just everything in the world slows down for a brief second. And, and that's one of the things that I love about coffee. <laughs> Chris, 
as always, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you again in a few weeks. Great to see you. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, man, always a treat, Ryan. Thank you so much. Chris crushed it again. I love the episodes where I ask a question and then just listen to him drop knowledge on me for the rest of the show. Check out at CoffeeCycle on Instagram. Order some coffee from coffee-cycle.com or head down to the shop in Pacific Beach to try that Costa Rican espresso he was raving about. Thank you all for listening to this episode and being excited for the upcoming episodes of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. This show will be back next week with an interview with Jay Rusky. He's an organic farmer and the founder of Fringe Coffee. Jay started planting coffee trees among the avocados on his farm in Goleta, California, and a new business was born. Then, on Friday, Siri Simran Kalsa joins our Coffee Smarter show for the very first time as our coffee roaster expert. If you've enjoyed today's show, and I hope you have, please share it with all of your coffee-loving friends. Tell them to search for Roast West Coast on any of the major podcasting platforms, or better yet, just tell them to sign up for the newsletter at roastwestcoast.com, and it'll get sent right to their email. Thank you for helping us spread the word. If you're sharing anything about coffee on social media, please tag at Roast West Coast so I can find you too. Or send me all of your coffee questions and I'll ask our roast experts. Finally, if you find yourself desiring some good coffee, please support your local coffee roasters and coffee shops. They're already making the best coffee, right? If you're in the SoCal area or interested in ordering some SoCal coffee, check out the great roasters and shops that Roast West Coast has partnered with to help uplift the local coffee community, including Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Steady State Roasting, Morea Coffee, Cafe La Terre, Coffee Cycle, Camp Coffee, and Mostra Coffee. I'm excited to welcome Camp Coffee to that family this month. You'll find links to their online shops in this podcast notes or right on the front of RoastWestCoast.com. And definitely pick up some First Light Coffee Whiskey to try out that chocolate whiskey coffee cake recipe I talked about earlier. You can find that recipe again on RoastWestCoast.com. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast has been produced and recorded by me, Brian Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always be sure to drink good coffee. So you love coffee, and you probably love the San Diego area. Why wouldn't you? If you're also into local politics, then there's another show you should check out. It's called Voice of San Diego. It's a weekly news podcast for local politics nerds. Every Friday, the editors at Voice of San Diego break down the biggest stuff that happened that week and give their take on what it all means. You can check it out now wherever you listen to this show. Again, just search for Voice of San Diego.